welcome to Super Excited with Stefan Roost. I'm Mike, the facilitator of this podcast. In this episode, Stefan talks to Vin Armani. Vin Armani, also now known as Cyprian, has lived many lives. DJ, coder, entrepreneur, gigolo, reality TV star, liberty movement icon and more. He's now building in crypto and developing new systems on the island of Saipan, where he currently resides. In this episode, Stefan and Vin discuss the nomadic life, how incentives matter, scaling as a multi-generational project, and walled gardens versus open source. Enjoy this episode. <laughs> Super excited. Hey, everybody. Uh, happy to be here. Uh, really excited to be here in a slightly different format, right? So today I'm here with Vin Armani, or, or I should actually change the name, <laughs> but I'm so used to calling <laughs> that name. Vin um, is cool. But, uh, <laughs> Um, yes, I'm really happy to be working again together. Um, you know, we're both working on this great project called Laguna and uh, super excited to be not only working alongside you, but sort of, you know, I felt we always shared the same vision of where blockchain and what decentralized networks mean um, and what the underlying philosophies and cultures associated with that should be. Um, so welcome, Vin, and, and really happy to have you here and be working alongside you again. So um, really excited about that. Oh, thank you, thank you, Stefan. Like it, it's it's absolutely a pleasure to join you, and of course, a pleasure to work with you. I I, I totally agree. We've you know there's been a there's been a synergy between us. I think since we first encountered each other, and um, when you've got fellow travelers in this space, people who have stuck to the same idea of what this is supposed to be you know you got to really hold those people close I, I feel very blessed people like you i mean there's i can name the people on probably two hands you know what i mean that it's just like we're moving through these cycles together we're going on this journey it's the people who are here for the long haul and you know even though we we adjust ourselves to meet sort of what the current demand is it's nice to see that there's this vein that travels through and this road that we're all traveling on together so yeah it's it's a pleasure pleasure to be here pleasure to work with you as well yeah no and i think you know one of the things is i'm not going to go and how did you get into bitcoin and all that but i think one of the things that really excites me about us you know sort of what you're doing is and i'm just immigrating into that world is is sort of becoming a citizen or of the network nation, right? I mean, Balaji wrote his book, Network Nation, and I think you embody that, right? I mean, a large portion, and I am now going to be embodying that, but where you pack your bags up, you move to wherever the jurisdictions appeal to you that are most favorable and where you feel ultimately the safest with your, you know, your family, right? So for your family as well, ultimately, And so how did you get onto that journey and why have you always been sort of flexible and agile enough to be able to get up and, and move somewhere? Maybe that, you know, how did you get about that? And when was the first sort of big move and step that you made on that journey? I've, I've always been a little bit of a nomad, I think. So I've made a lot of abrupt moves in my life, certainly nothing as pronounced as the move that I made in 2020 when I moved from the mainland of the US to Saipan. But I've, you know, I've organized my life in such a way that were some very important opportunity to come along, which has happened a few times in my life, that I've tried to make it so that I would be able to consider it 
right? To at least be able to say, you know, okay, it's on the table. And I, there's a lot of trade-offs there. There's a lot of trade-offs to make there, things that, things that you don't do. Uh, you know, like I have, it, I, I have not purchased a lot of, let's say, residential property. That's one thing, you know what I mean? I, I haven't made that a part of my life. That's something that tends to, to leave you in one geographical location. Um, I live a very simple life. So, you know, not having acquired a whole lot of things. And when I have, I've always had a plan of like, how can I, uh, how can I move these things around? But I think one of the other important things is that I've, I've always been very diversified in terms of even like my liquid yeah. holdings. I've always assumed that maybe I won't be able to get at certain things that I hold uh, cash wise or property wise. And so I've tried to remain very diversified. And, and as you say, I think that really it's, it's diversified in terms of the network, not just diversified. Like some people would think, oh, I've got a diversified portfolio, right? I've got all of these different stocks, but I trade them all on my brokerage right. account, right? But what I'm talking about is diversified in terms of assets, in terms of skills, in terms of knowledge, so that I could say, so that I could make a move and and go somewhere and really taking advantage you know the remote thing has not been something that's been available for everybody but it certainly is is something that has been available to software developers for a very very long time and so having software in my back pocket has always been it's i, I think for me it's my greatest source of wealth is you know my my skills with software and my ability to build things and then bitcoin and cryptocurrency because of that mindset, I think just perfectly yeah. fit in with that. It's it's just the perfect match of of that mindset, not only with of the people, but the the way that the networks themselves are designed. So, you know, there's usually when you have an organization or a system or a network, the the topology or the layout or the structure of that network is in many ways going to be a reflection of the personality of the people. Right. The way that the people's mind operates. And so, you know, as you know, with with the people that we're around, with the organizations that we participate in, with our colleagues, everywhere. they're everywhere. And I think that this is a common mindset of people being like, I need to be able to move. I need to be, be able to have this freedom. And then we find the stability in the network itself. And I think also it's, it's yeah. something new. It's and I think on new. that point, right, you touched it really early on, or just a bit earlier just now, right, which is really the right alignment around philosophy and culture, right? Because if you're networked, you only have so many hours of time where you're overlapped based on physical time zones. Um, and so ideally, you want to get very quickly into a specific purpose, um, which resonates with the counterparty of that network or the counter group in that network and have alignment in the philosophy. So you don't really need to think much beyond, we're aligned, this is our manifesto, this is our constitution, right? And if you think about it, the constitution, when it was first founded, was one to two pages, right? That's it. It wasn't 50 million pages in, in a sort of 15 different editions of Bible-sized books. It was actually, you know, as simple as, these are the core principles that we want to live under. And, and let's just be, try and employ, you know, employ or deploy sort of common sense around those. And I think those are super important to get alignment in a network nation, um, particularly if you're 
global as a citizen G, as I call it, or citizen global, you know, sort of that's moving around all the time and living in different jurisdictions, meeting different cultures and always having to be on your toes to meet new people. What's that like? Um, and this is, I think, one of the attractive things to me about Bitcoin specifically. Yeah. It's something that Bitcoin has that I think cause what you're bringing up is very important. And it is the human. It's the human yeah. element fundamentally. And I think that as, as these networks and as the space got more established, as it got more professionalized, I might say, as, as more professional and technical and academic individuals came in and began projects and began supporting projects, one of the things that we saw was this, this heavy move towards the importance of the technical and a bit of a falling off of the importance of the human element that was there from Satoshi's time until I would say maybe 2013, 2014. Yeah. Um, and I think that it was probably the first run up. And then as it came down and certainly with the evolution of Ethereum, you get this very technical, what's important is the software, what's important is the technical side of this, much less important. And thinking about it is the, the incentives, the human side, the psychological side. This is something that has stuck around so heavily in, in Bitcoin. Yeah. And, you know, in, in, in a way, you know, the Bitcoin maximalists, one of the, the positive things that you could say about them is they talk and think about the human yeah. element often, right? The economic, the human, the really the way that people think, you know, the psychology of it. And what it's what makes some other networks difficult is that they don't really set out to say, this is what we believe. This is why this is here from a philosophical standpoint. Um, and it's something that Satoshi did yeah. well, I think. Um, the white paper is there, and so it's something that we could call back to. But I mean, in the Bitcoin talk forums, the early days of it, there was so much discussion of this human element, so much discussion of like, how are we going to organize this thing? What do we believe in? Um, and and the people were, you know, you have people like Amir Taki, like you have an anarcho-communist, you know what I mean? And and then you have people like a, like a Roger Veer or an Eric Voorhees, and wh where you have these you know, anarcho-capitalists or libertarians and, and the, the, the philosophical was so, was so there. And so this is one of the things that interests me and that has excited me about being able to work with you on, you know, exploring a network from the ground up because not just, not just the technical, but saying, okay, what does a culture look like? can we approach this as a nation now after all of these years and understanding that, yeah, if we build this network, people are going to build their lives around this network, right? And if, if it's done right, uh, this is going to support people's families. This is going to be really important to them. Like Bitcoin is really important yeah. to me. Um, it's going to be the difference between them being able to live the life they want and not. Um, and, and moving forward, it might, it might be the difference between some people having freedom and not. Like, we don't know how this thing's going to shape out in the next couple of years, right? And so that philosophical aspect is super important. It's as important in my mind, if not more important than the technical aspect. And so I think it's been neglected since 2014. And, uh, and, and again, I think it's, it's exciting to me to be able to work around and in projects where it's, um, where it's put forward. The human element. And I think that happens over different times, no? I mean, sort of if you look and you've gone back, we've gone through a number of different waves, right? When the market goes up and the price goes up significantly faster, there is there tends to be a lot of opportunists come into the market, do a quick, 
you know, pump and dump, for lack of a better word. You know, they come in, whereas in the bear markets, you find the builders, the true believers or the TBs, right, that are out there that are really trying to build a new peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system that not only that, a cash system, but actually a whole new governance system that allows to share that philosophy on a much gl more global level. And by the way, you know, I just, I'm convinced that you don't need to be a hundred million, five billion people on your network, right? If you're a couple of million people, that's good enough, right? At least you share all the same philosophies, you share the same principles, the same governance um, policies that you want to have implemented, and you can still contribute towards the shaping of that philosophy. That to me is super important, right? But we have new, new participants in a network that actually want to take active role and help shape that, that's awesome, right? With good intentions, right? I mean, ultimately, how do you protect against those bad intentions uh, of people coming into a network just to destroy it? Which you have too, right? <laughs> I, and that's, yeah. Yeah, of course. And I mean, that's a, it's a great point. And I think as a builder, this is one thing that Satoshi really got right. This is one of the powers of, of of proof of work, but it's not to say that this is the only way that yeah. it can be done is, you know, it's yeah. about incentives yeah. at the end of the day. If you're going to have a permissionless network, you got to put the incentives there. You either have to have them so strongly skewed to support the, let's say the good actors, or there's got to be a way to punish yeah. bad actors as they're participating, or, or you've got to build the network in such a way that it's, it's more protocol yeah. than network. And so it's so fractured that even if you take this little piece out, you know, it's fine. Uh, these other pieces will sort of, you know, morph around it. So it's got that kind of robustness. These are the, these are the things to explore. I think at the end of the day, one of the things that has definitely come true within this space is, well, it's, it's Iceberg Slim wrote this in the book Trick Baby, right? It's a book about, um, it's a fantastic book about con men in okay. Chicago. And, uh, you know, the, the phrase that he said, the phrase he says in there, I, I've said it over and over, is you can't con an honest man. Every con depends on the greed of the mark. And I think that yeah. we, we yeah. see that. Yeah. We see that in the space that, you know, the people who are getting wrecked, the one thing that you could see about all of them, if you trace it back and, and, and they're really honest is, they let their greed uh, go past their better judgment. Like their greed overrode their better judgment. And, you know, it's a game of musical chairs or a Ponzi or whatever. And everybody figures, well, I'll be the guy to get out before it crashes. Um, it's important for us to know that those will be there. It's important for us to know that those will be there. The, I guess the, the difficult part is that the education that people get when they're new to the space is usually a miseducation because most people have come into the space, you know, as opposed to those of us who were, you know, back in the days when it was basically worth nothing. But most people who have come into the space from 20, let's say late 2013, that class to the 2017 class to the recent like 2021 class, you know, these particular classes every four years, when they come in, they come in because it's hot. Yeah. It's on the way up. Somebody with them, their their imagination is they're going to make a ton of money uh, doing whatever it is off very little investment. And it's going to go to the moon. And that's what they're being told by everybody. That's what the voices are all saying. And 
So they get a miseducation about what's valuable, you know, and then some of those people stick around when the crash happens, as it inevitably does, as as uh, you know, they find out that, yes, indeed, it was a, a pig that the lipstick was put on. And some of those people, you know, stick around and they unlearn the things that they had learned. And they see, as as you're saying, with the building, they see like, oh, no. OK, now I see why it's valuable and let me participate and help to build something. Um, but it takes a while. It takes a while for that aspect to wash out. And in the meantime, it can be very difficult. I've experienced this now twice, right, in two of the cycles. It can be very difficult for builders who are building valuable things for anyone to really even yeah. take what they're doing seriously. You know, if we if we look at I mean, there are there are several examples. I mean, early days of Uniswap. It's not like anybody thought that this was an interesting idea when it was first being done, right? Quite the contrary. I mean, early days of, look, early days of Coinbase, same sort of situation. It's like, this is not something that people were like, oh, this is gonna be the next, next gigantic unicorn. You know, same thing with IPFS yeah. and, yeah. and Filecoin. You know, luckily they did, they did it the right way with Filecoin that they had accredited investors, but it was not something that was on people's radar. And yet, two years from now, in the new Web3 thing that's going to pick up, IPFS is going to be a big deal. It's all right. In my mind, it's already a big deal. I've been using it for content for a long time. It's fantastic. It's some of the best technology that has sort of come out of this space. But, but still, like, you don't really hear the average Joe talking about it, even though it's of incredible value, right? It's not the, because it's not a moon coin. It's not Oh, you should be out there, Filecoin. It's going from nothing to this, although it has, right? If you look at its chart, it's like, man, wow. you wish you could have yeah, got it early you on, gone. right? You wish you could have got it early on, and um, so, you know, this is this is the cycle. This is the cycle that we're in, and uh, the good part is we're coming out of the hype cycle. We're going into the build cycle, and it'll be interesting to see what comes next. I mean, DeFi came out of the last yep. time. And for, for better or worse, a lot of work has been done. A lot of innovation has happened. We'll see what the next one is. We'll see what this next cycle brings, but it, it will definitely be interesting. One of the things that, that I think, you know, you raised, which is really interesting to me, is that a lot of these projects, I mean, you talked about Coinbase. I mean, it took them two years to find the product market fit, right? They were constantly innovating, trying to figure out what it was. And what mm -hmm. really got them across the line was this simple buy Bitcoin here, right? I mean, it was as simple as that. And that's how they then scaled up, added new coins. And now they're at a cadence where they're adding regularly a, a vast number of new coins onto their exchange. Filecoin started off nearly five years ago and more, maybe even, you know, sort of mm -hmm. the, the genesis was there. It mm -hmm. took a while to build and to get the model right, to identify how it works. And now today, the number of terabytes that's available on Filecoin for storage, all in a decentralized manner, is, is extremely impressive in terms of what they've managed to build. And as a result, you can see storage isn't going down, right? It's going to go up and up and up. It's just a matter of time. Where are you going to store that in a secure, safe place? And we've learned that you need to be decentralized um, after, especially what's happening in the last couple of, 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 of days and weeks, I'm sure, in run up to that. But I think one thing is that, so it takes time to number one, build the product and get it really to a product market fit. And then number two is having the people 
join into the philosophy. And it's really been interesting to see what's happening across the likes of a Coinbase or even a Kraken where they just make, this is our philosophy. Yeah. If you wanted to, you know, this is why you come here. This is why you be a part of this movement. And if you don't like it, you know, here's a nice check and, and thank you. That's not the right place for you. And if you do like it, great. Let's focus on spending our attention to improving this philosophy and this network and society to make it really work. Uh, and I think that's, to me, really interesting. And there are a lot of learnings in, in, in that journey that you go, right? I mean, it's not always rosy, right? I mean, it, 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 there are some really tough times um, that you undergo. I, I mean, you've also launched your startup in the past, right? You, you launched a payment startup. I think one of the things that's really interesting, at least got me into crypto, was the payments, right? So being able to use money as a remittance around the world without having to go through 15 middlemen to make a transaction happen, pay lots of fees, and then ultimately be able to purchase stuff online instantaneously with no fees where the margin goes to the retailer and or... and not necessarily, or is passed on to the consumer in the form of a discount instead of having to bake in the pricing, a fee for all these middlemen that are on a payment rail network. But what did you? What was your journey in the, in the payment section, and and how did you find that? I mean, you launched Cointext, and um, you've since also been building in the payments category. What mm -hmm. got you excited about payments, and why payments? I mean, I've always thought that payments was the well, I mean, it's the first sentence of the white paper, right? So it's like, it's what Bitcoin was meant to do at the end of the day, right? It's, uh, it's you know, a, 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 what, what is it? A, a truly peer-to-peer -peer version of electronic cash would allow any two parties to uh, send, between, to transact with one another without going through a financial institution. Like, that's it. That's the first sentence of the white paper, yeah. right? So this is, what, this is what this thing has been meant to do. Um, it's weird because from the beginning, and I remember like I got my first Bitcoin in 2012, and I remember at that time, even at that time, everybody was talking about this is going to revolutionize remittance. Remittance, 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 right? This is what everybody said from the beginning. It was obvious that like this revolutionizes remittance, um, making yeah. it permissionless. And it's so interesting that still, you would expect that by now, 10 years later, you would expect, oh, I don't know, 30%, 40% of remittances would be traveling across these networks. They're not. It's not. Yeah. It's shocking yeah. to me. It's shocking to me because even just from an efficiency standpoint, right, it's so much better. So you got to wonder, like, well, where did this go wrong? And, you know, the answer is that there's actually a lot of efficiencies in remittances already, but also, and I'm on an island here where it's, you know, it's, I'm, I'm on Saipan, big remittance place. It's 40% Filipino yeah. ethnically. Most of them are from Philippines and have family in Philippines. And look, they're working in a, under a U.S. flag. They're going to remit money back to Philippines. That's what's going to happen, yeah. right? This is the, the Philippines is a major remittance country. I don't know. I don't know what the percentages yep. of the GDP uh, that's from remittance, yeah. but it's huge. It's massive, it's and like, so yeah, it's like there's there's a trust thing. Yeah, yeah, it's huge. Yeah. There's a trust thing, and in Philippines, the remittance industry is super super professional. Like if you do yeah. remittances from the companies here in Philippines, they've got a guy on a motor scooter that delivers the cash to the person's house, you know, and it's trusted. 
It's trust. On some little island, you know, in the Philippines. Anywhere. Like, not even anywhere. Like, it's like <laughs> they've got it like they've got it down. And so yeah. this was this has really always been for me where I've said it's got to be it's got to be better, faster, cheaper. We already know it yep. can be cheaper, right? It can be cheaper, not on Ethereum, not on Bitcoin BTC, which is the reason why we need more networks than just that. But it can be cheaper. We know that it can be cheaper done with crypto. Um, faster, it can definitely be faster in a lot of different ways, right? And then we just get down to the better. And what better really comes down to is, is it solving a problem that can't be solved? So this has always been where I've... So the two projects that you referenced, so one is Cointext. And the question yeah. that we asked was, could somebody who has neither a smartphone nor internet access use cryptocurrency peer-to-peer, -peer? right? That's a like, could, well, could they? And sure enough, yeah. they could, Cointext, right? And so we were yeah. able to, to figure out a way, both with some interesting cryptography that we used and using uh, you know, the, the networks, the phone networks and, and leasing numbers in 40 different countries, we were able to pull that off. And I'll tell you, it was amazing to see you know, from places like Pol from Poland to Bangladesh, you know, to see these people sending us videos and photos of, hey, my grandma, I just sent money, I just sent Bitcoin cash to my grandma and she just sent it, you know, to my cousin. And here's her old Nokia. Her ancient Nokia dumb phone, right? And here Monochrome. it is, and she did it. Monochrome, L, the the LCD screen, right? <laughs> and it's like, here it is. She sent it. Whoa, right? So th that's that's to me. It's like, okay, that's better. That's better. Yeah. And of course, of course, this capability exists in like Africa with M-Pesa. It's been there for a long time. So the question was, how could we do something like that here in Saipan? Um, what we have in terms of the payment system is how could we do, how could I, so, uh, my payments, my payments network is used by all of the cannabis dispensaries here and crypto is again, right. It's one of those where people saw the U S cannabis industry. They were like, it's a schedule one drug, but the States approved it. These people can't get banking because it's a federally, you know, illegal, so they, yeah. the banks won't take them, right? Um, and they can't get credit card processing. Yeah. So it's like it's, it's an all-cash business. You know, my, I was talking to a buddy of mine who's got a dispensary in L.A., and he said they have three ATMs inside their business because it's all cash and nobody comes in there with cash. So they have to have three ATMs because people come in, use the ATM. So there's a line for the ATMs that's longer than the actual line for them to get their product, right? It's crazy, incredible yeah, amounts of friction. So, so I said, crypto's great, but how do you get people to actually get coins into a wallet, right? Because right. it's so hard to onboard. First, they got to download a wallet. What's all of this? If I'm on the island of Saipan. And so the, the question that I went to answer was, uh, how is it, would it be possible for there to be a system where somebody walked in knowing nothing about crypto, having no wallet, having never purchased any crypto, and they will walk out having made a cryptocurrency purchase where the merchant receives cryptocurrency and they receive their product and they walk out, yeah. right? How can that happen? And it's been, so that's Bucks.Digital. That's, that's the product here that 
that we've had up for about six months. And I was just informed uh, by the largest dispensary here that 15% of his um, sales last month was through my system. Wow. Right? And this is a big cash. This is a big cash place already, right? People walk around with cash. Um, so that's so that's really significantly big. Um, but these are the types of problems that crypto can solve. And this is the type. These are the types of things that happen in these these build cycles. And I would like to see I would like to see more of it because it's not like those are just two spaces. There's so many problems uh, with payments that, that at this point, if we could get a foothold in just a few of those, it's amazing what we could do to then expand out from that. There was, um, you know, when I remember I, mean, I was very involved in, in the mobile Internet growing. Right. And, and ultimately it started off with, one, you know, 1G, 2G, 3G. And when 3G was coming in, everybody was explaining, when, when these, why do I need a 3G network? What do I need that for? There's no killer app. There was always this hunt for one killer app that would make it, right? And, um, and you know, we were then always joking that 3G stood for you know, gambling, games, and girls, right? So if you had any of those three products, it would sell, right? And that's how you got customer acquisition. That's how people would want bandwidth. Um, and, and, and that's... You know, and so now, and that would warrant an upgrade in a network to faster speed, faster bandwidth, etc. Mm -hmm. um, and today, you know, with the we can't imagine not having five G, right? I mean, we need five Gs, and maybe we need to mm -hmm. add other other Gs onto that. I don't know. I've never thought about <laughs> that, but but I think you know, just coming to why I think of G. I'll, I'll get to that, but. You know, when you're coming and putting value on top of it, we add another G, which is grass, right? We add the grass G. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know. It's like, and, um, but anyway, it's like, so where, you know, I think everybody always asks, you know, sort of, I view, I view that crypto represents a huge economic opportunity for everybody, right? It's not only economic freedom, it's economic opportunity, Right. For those that really want to create and, and create wealth, they can get onto the bandwagon and we're just at the beginning. Right. I mean, it's only one point two trillion in market cap. This is going to go to 40 trillion. You know, so we're going to go 40 X from where we are today easily in the next within this decade. Right. That's a lot of opportunity. How do you drive opportunity? How do we bring this network nation together and enable commercial opportunity between this network nation? And to me, that's crypto. Right. And. How do we start? Where do we mm -hmm. start? It's always the challenge. Um, at Bitcoin.com, we worked very heavily on building it out city by city. You're, you know, in buck stops mm -hmm. here. You're, you're a, a buck. I can't sorry, remember. What's it called? Buck? <laughs> bucks, bucks, just bucks. Bucks.digital, okay. yeah. Bucks.digital. So if in bucks.digital, I like that because it's bucks stop here, right? This is where the bucks stop and then go into Yeah, I love it. I love it. <laughs> but if you look at that and, and you think um, you started on an island, right? So you got Saipan, so you had a contained area. Mm -hmm. We started city by city. We were going to Lugano. We had it in Ljubljana. Uh, we started with cities with L. I don't know for what mm -hmm. reason. Maybe that was coincidental, but... Um, Anyway, and that then sort of all worked out. And how do we get this to mass scale, right? I mean, how do we get this? Is it really yeah. starting with an industry vertical where trans, you know, the cannabis industry has a whole supply chain? You have all the way from farm end to end. You have the commerce and the consumer with retail outlets all the way to the farmer, to the supplier of equipment for those specific farmers. You know, is that a way you can build a vertically integrated 
you know, um, crypto payment system that each one of those accepts as, as a participant in there? It's a very good question and something that I've thought about uh, a whole lot. I think that yeah. my, my instinct on this, my instinct on this is that first, this is a multi-generational project. So I've thought that for a very, yeah. very long time. Um, okay. And that it's, it's going to be as most multi-generational projects are, it's going to be slow than, than quick. So it's this, you know, it's this yeah. curve. It's this curve, right? Yeah. And gradually then suddenly. Right. And right. so yeah, gradually then suddenly. So where does where does this happen and why does it happen? You know, I think one of the things is going to be economic restrictions is going to drive this. There's no question about it. Yeah. Um when the when the Canadian trucker thing happened, I was yeah. reached out to by several Canadians who didn't know much about crypto, really, to be honest. But this yeah. was like something where they were like, we know that there should be, we know that there should be a, you know, a solution here and to sit and talk it out. And I, you know, we sat and we talked it out and it's just like, it wasn't quite there to do something immediate, right? Um, there yeah. needed to be a little more of a base. So I think it's, Economic restrictions, a series of the series of economic restrictions that are going to continue to happen and people desiring some sovereignty, financial sovereignty, that's going to push people to see this as something to pay attention to. That's the first thing. I think the second thing to look at is this idea of leapfrogging, like leapfrogging of technology. And I think that these are the things to look at in what we would call the developing world, but it's a lot less developing world now in the digital world that we're living yeah. in, right? So like the past yeah. year, I've been listening to a lot of like the pop dance music out of Africa. So out of uh, Nigeria and South Africa in particular. And one of the things that yeah. I've seen as I've looked at that culture is the consumer side of let's say video production technology audio production technology has gotten so high that it's professional you can't really tell the difference between professional and consumer level technology and also sort of fashion business sense all of these things it doesn't look anymore like you're looking at a third world country right because all of the little pieces are all there and so i think that my instinct is that we're going to see a leapfrog, that crypto is going to be the thing that represents a leapfrog in these types of markets, much in the same way that mobile internet, to bring back mobile internet, represented this leapfrog in those markets to where everybody there has a smartphone with mobile internet, a lot of them with 5G in them. If you go to Lagos, it's, the, it's as fast of a speed as you're going to get anywhere, right? On your smartphone. Yeah, yeah. But most of the people who have those smartphones never had wired DSL. They never had it, right? They never had yeah. wired, wired broadband, wired high-speed internet. Same thing happened in India, right? And so I think that this, I think we, if, if there is a critical mass of people in this space who are willing to share that vision and communicate it with enthusiasm, into these places, you know, where they are not well served by the financial industry that's there, you know? So, so this is kind of like, Saipan is kind of a prime example, 
And I think that it's one of the reasons why it's been no problem for us to get our payment systems into all of the people here, because, you know, even though it's U.S., uh, you know, you can't get PayPal point of sale here, Stripe, um, Square. You can't do Square here. So all of these recent evolutions are not even available at the point of sale. So what do they have? They have these old Verifone, like the 1990s style, you know, the gray terminals. That's what you see everywhere. Yeah, that's it. That's what you see. I mean, they've got the newer, like they're the old terminals, but they're the newer model of them. So you can do tap of your card and whatever, but you're not going to do, you're not going to get Samsung pay, Apple pay, these types of things. You're not even WeChat pay. You're just not going to be able to do it here. Right. And so for me to walk in with a Android point of sale, you know, from Alibaba, but it's running an Android app that looks super cool. They're like, Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Really easy. And so I think that it's that sort of idea where, going into the places where we can create these these business to business and merchant solutions that that are slick for them maybe not slick for a cafe in San Francisco right where it's yeah. like wow they've got all of these different payment service options these boutique payment service options right but for these other places is what i'm saying it's what i'm saying but in these in these other places where they're like yeah, it's the most janky terminal and maybe they're just taking cash, right? Or maybe they've got they've set yeah. up if the the owner's real savvy, they've they've got a little QR code for WeChat Pay or whatever. That's that's where we can hit a leapfrog and potentially get this explosion of growth which will then feed back into these other places. In the same way that like that's why I bring up the fact that, you know, Afrobeats out of Nigeria and Amapiano, this music out of South Africa, is going from out of those places into Europe, into the United States, and people yeah. are picking it up. And so I think that now we're in this global time. If we can bring those people into the network, uh, not only where, will their communities, their their diaspora and expat communities pick it up, but it'll get picked up at, at a broader. So I think that that's really where the opportunity is. It's, it's in the restrictions, mitigating the restrictions, and also trying to play that leapfrog game. Interesting. Yeah, no, I think one of the things, so on that note, right, I mean, I, I've been talking to a number of other participants, you know, why haven't, you know, players like, you know, AnyPay or even, you know, CirclePay or um, Coinbase Pay Commerce, right, or Sol, apparently Solana's launched SolPay Sol or something, right? So everybody's mm-hmm. been trying to enable, I think even Binance has some Binance Commerce or something, arm right where they're trying to build that merchant solution ultimately with the end game to attract them onto my exchange so they become the de facto mm-hmm. bank for these merchants right and then they do mm-hmm. the settlements and the conversion into fiat and the payout in fiat or in usdt to their staff do the salary management etc why hasn't that actually taken off is that because they've been trying to take on too much is it because it's too big they've taken a, a more industrial approach to this or a developed market approach? What's your view on that? You know, I think it's because they can't actually add a whole lot of value as since they're custodians that we're talking about, they can't actually add a whole lot of value and a reduction of friction over the current system, which is custodial, right? So they can't beat the banks at their own game, right? So then the, the question arises like, okay, so 
outside of, you know, cannabis or whatever, what can we offer? And I think that this is something that you and I have been talking about for years and exploring, but this idea of non-custodial financial services and the idea that, you know, the structure doesn't need to look like the payment processor takes custody of the money and then disperses yeah. it out. And then disperses it you know, out. we have a lot more creativity than that. Um, you know, so one of the things that we did here, uh, and if people want it, they could probably find it on on YouTube by Googling Crypto Frontier, Saipan, tipping, maybe you could yeah. you could look up. But, you know, we we explored in in the Badger wallet, open source wallet. We explored with tokens. This was on Bitcoin Cash at the time, but now it could be done on on eCash. You know, this an idea just as a, a proof of concept of non-custodial tipping. You know, so the idea would be I'm going to pay in whatever this token is. And this is this is live in cafes here, but I'm going to pay in whatever this token is. I tell the server I want to pay in this token. So the server has their own wallet with the point of sale. There's a, a little area where they can scan their own QR code. And then when I scan the QR code that's on their thing, it'll ask me, do you want to make a tip? Right. So do I want a tip? So in addition to paying, I can make the tip. It goes out in separate Bitcoin outputs. And when I pay, my money goes directly to the shop, the cafe, and then it goes directly into the wallet of the, the server as a tip. Right. It's so it's not like if I was to pay by a credit card, then the merchant gets the funds and has to pay the server out of the tips or whatever they have to. It's a direct payment. And so you imagine it doesn't just have to be two parties. It could be three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten parties. You imagine that I could pay all the way down the supply line, right? All the way down the supply chain for my food, right? So I could pay not just the coffee wholesaler, I could pay the coffee maker for my cup of coffee. I could pay the bean grower. Right. I could pay every single person. I could pay hundreds of outputs at one particular time all at once, peer to peer. Right. And you imagine. But yet this is a vision that no one has talked about. And yet it's part and parcel of what we can do. And the most interesting part of this this vision is, you know, my my brother is a I'm I'm you know, I'm libertarian, whatever you want to call it, but I'm definitely like a free marketeer, free market capitalist. And my brother happens to be a Marxist uh, professor, tenured professor, my younger brother at a very prestigious, maybe the most prestigious university in the United States. And um, I was in New Hampshire with him. We were sitting having a beer. I sort of gave him this vision and his eyes lit up and he said, well, that's that's Marx's dream. He said, that's 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 it. That's the complete like that's we could then the workers could control the means of, of their own production and we could just pay directly. And that would be a wonderful world. And I'm like, ah, and then from the other side, the anarcho-capitalists are like, yeah, Bitcoin, this is the vision crypto. This is what we need to have. And it's like, dude, if when both the far right of the economic spectrum and the far left of the economic spectrum say, yeah, we're in right. That's the answer. When it answers all of these things, all of the problems, whether it's, whether it's Mises or Marx, it answers the issue. We need to be talking about that. Nobody's talking about it because it's number go up. <laughs> but in this, but in in a build market, in a build market, this is what we talk about. And I believe that this is the real value of crypto is exploring how do we solve these problems? How do we solve these deep, deep, deep economic problems that have even, you know, the vision of a utopia that we could actually have now? 
uh, has been the cause of revolutions in the world and all of this. Like, why do we not talk about this? I think it's not only just talk about it. I think it's also, you know, some of us are acting and trying to build solutions down that path. But I think there's generally inherent, there's a fear to go down that path, right? There's always, number one, it's change. People hate change, right? By default, we don't like change. Uh, because that means we need to sort of rethink our ways and we don't know where this is going to go. So uncertainty is the other thing. We don't know what the outcome is. It's a new j journey. We haven't, we're not used to paying these 15 middlemen along the way from the farmer and the creator all the way to the barista in the coffee shop. Uh, we haven't figured that all out yet and we are not comfortable. And then it goes across jurisdictions as well. It's into, ooh, t t Sure. Uncertain cultures. Oh man, I'm, I've got some farmer in Nicaragua or in in Brazil. You know, in the middle Absolutely. of somewhere, I'm paying him for the coffee beans. What? Why? How's that working? Why is that not going to my buddy who's a coffee maker in this? You know, I, I don't know. So there, all of these different elements play a big part of mm -hmm. that. How do we overcome that? I mean, that's a huge challenge, and the network nation, in a way, is a first start down that journey. Mm -hmm. And people being on the blockchain, working from around the world. I mean, look at all your colleagues, look at our team members. They're everywhere, right? I mean, we're on calls yep. early in the morning, yep. late at night to make sure the time zones work. But philosophically, we're all aligned and, and really trying to pursue this new model, this new mm -hmm. system. Um, and, and highlighting to a merchant, a, a, a restaurateur, a, a entrepreneur who's got his own barista that he set up, right? Uh, how do we highlight the benefits of them you know, gelateria in Italy, you know, that, that using this is really going to make their lives mm -hmm. easier. Maintenance, management, having the computers work for you, and it's all going to be authenticated. And all you need is this key, right? Mm -hmm. and this is your key, your coins. Yeah, I, and I, I think... I think one of the things... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Please, please, please. No. no, I think one thing we learned was that your keys, your coins are becoming... Re is a real important mantra, right? I mean, it's... It's it's so it, it was always important and it's even more now important after we've seen what's happened with, you know, the Celsius's, the Voyagers and, um, you know, the, the BlockFi's of the world, what they've brought about um, in terms of even though they're regulated, mm -hmm. they're licensed. Everybody thought, oh, these guys have a bit licensed. They're approved to do business in New York. We can work with them. Oh, they're F FDIC insured. Mm -hmm. We should be able to put our money there. They're not going to go down. And in the end, what happens? You know, we have a repeat of the 2008 financial crisis, just at a more a smaller scale, right? And so, um, your keys, your coins, is becoming really important. And how do we make that happen? And I think that yeah. I, I think that I think I, the other thing. Oh, go is ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. We got a lag. We got a lag. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I I think the, you know, the sanctions is another big thing, right? You were talking about them earlier, right? So if you have restrictions put onto a specific society, they will find ways around that, right? I mean, you're seeing that what Russia's doing, you're seeing that with Tornado Cash, you're seeing that what Iran is doing uh, for the longest time, they're finding ways around that, right? I mean, mm -hmm. necessity breeds creativity to find a solution to make sure I have survival, mm -hmm. right? I mean, necessity creates an innovation for survival purposes. And if that happens, I think, you know, more, I wonder if with the more and more restrictions that we have in the real world, is that why places like Austin, Miami, 
Dublin, Lisbon have been blooming because of ultimately there are there are fewer restrictions there. Yeah. And so ultimately I can be freer. How does Bitcoin get that comfort level that it is much even more free, right? And how can I participate in that? I think that's a task that we have. And I love the fact that you just launched the Laguna wallet, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, um, and, and that's been an amazing user experience. So everybody's really commented on how good the design is, how slick it is, how easy it is to use and onboard. How have you found that working and trying to build this sort of you know, web two user experience on a web three infrastructure? How have you find how did you find that development and 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 project and product build around that? Well, there's been a complaint in crypto for a very, very long time that design is uh let's say underappreciated as being important, which is totally to be expected when you've had when you have a space that has been dominated by engineers. I mean, it's basically a cliche that like yeah. the the user interface that a, an engineer creates is just like just ugly. And we've gotten yeah. we you know, this was okay. the Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this this was the the this was the real value proposition of Apple. Right. I mean, this was the thing that it was going to be this user experience. It was going to be well designed. And I think one of the things that's been interesting and I don't it's I know some of it has been planned, uh, but some of it is also just, you know, you end up you, you lean towards your strengths and, you know, the engineering of an open source cryptocurrency wallet of an established network. It's there's there's not really a whole lot to it. There's not a whole lot of different ways that you can do it. You need it to work. You need it to communicate with the blockchain. Um, but going design first, going into it design first and saying, OK, let's start with the design. Even if we design some things that are maybe impractical in here, we can always walk those back, uh, you know, and then but but let's design something that looks and feels, you know, let's have the prototypes, let's be able to walk through animations, let's actually be able to click through on them. We have all that, we have the ability to do this now with design, right? So like, there's, let's there's make, tools are there, yeah, right there's here. the tools are there. So let's use the tools. Let's, yeah. let's build something that feels good to start with. And, and then we can construct the functionality and do the code within. I think it's a new approach in crypto. It's different. It's not what I've seen uh before usually it's like hey here's the functionality that we have make it look pretty but in this case it's like here's the user experience that we have make it function underneath right um that's that's something new and i think that it's going to be very important as we move into this new phase like the web 3 phase and especially as you say like not your keys not your coins when we're going to start really yeah. using our keys as identity for more things Right. And I think this is going to be true with things like GameFi, particularly where people are used, they're in it for the aesthetic. Right. If we want to hit people who are into yeah. games and whatnot, it better look good. It better look good. Right. Yeah. They're used to aesthetics is yeah. important. It's, it's, it's a big part of yeah. any game that you're going to play. Right. It's a big part if you walk into a casino in Vegas. The aesthetics is important. And so that's, that's a new tact. I've enjoyed it. I think it's great. I think that it's great for engineers too. I would I would hope that more companies would adopt that. It's it's obviously it's been proven to work. Apple proved that it worked and a lot of people have copied them since then. 
to greater or lesser degrees. I think Samsung has been pretty good at adopting that, even if it's like secondhand and coming in. Um, not as good yeah. as Apple, though, right? Nobody's been as good as Apple. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that it's something that that crypto has been lacking. It's always been said. You know, the other important thing that I'll say on that note for people who are thinking about going the design first direction is, you know, if you want female users, you better get the design right. I'm just going to tell you. I'm not trying to make like a, I'm not trying to make a sexist statement here or make broad sweeping generalizations, but it's true. It's true. If it doesn't look good and it doesn't feel good to use, you're going to lose your female users. Period. Yeah. Right. So Period. this is another thing. And and let's remember that, you know, if we're talking about household spending, like women are the ones who make about 85 percent of who do about 85 percent of the spending in most households. So yeah. if we're going to talk about payments, we're going to build something for payments. I think getting the design side right, making something that people enjoy when they're like, yeah, I like looking at it. Uh, I like just playing around and seeing the way that it lays out, especially as compared to other wallets uh, and other products. Very important. Very important. So that's that's been a great experience. It's something that's been lacking for a long time. The other thing that, that I just want to come back on is you talked about, about Apple and the design first thinking, right? Which is, I think, and I couldn't agree more, right? I mean, that's really why we're investing a lot in design. And we've got in a hugely diverse team to make sure that we embed what would look good and how it would feel uh, as an important element um, of a strong performance team, right? Performance is first and, and then ultimately making sure that we have from all sorts of sides and angles. But secondly is is the design first angle versus, you know, there's always the Apple versus Android, right? It's always mm -hmm. that sort of debate, right? And Android's taken a very different approach where they've taken more of the engineering for first, yeah. I'd say, and ultimately relied on their partners to worry about the design and the That's user right. experience, the hardware integration, et cetera, right? But it's largely been what would be called I mean, there's the Open Handset Alliance, which is sort of the more structured sort of open source wild west of Android. And then there's sort of the Android capability of it, which is purely 100% open source. And if I look at those movements, I mean, it's, it's really, how do you find in crypto, right? We're, we're pretty much all open source, right? Mm -hmm. How are we going to leverage those open source codes to try to pick up something find that something's there and how do we work and build with that? Um, and I think with the wallet, you've done some really good examples of leveraging some of the open source communities, mm -hmm. tools, technology that's out there and contributing to that so that ultimately the uniqueness of the contribution led to a lot of support coming your way and accelerating your development, right? That's, I mean, this is the community aspect and it's something that is, it's unfortunate because, and maybe it's because of the tribalism in crypto. Maybe that's what yeah. it is. Uh, there's been a lot of tribalism and everybody trying to carve out their own thing. But I, th I think the, actually what I've found is that the thing that most of these developers who are in the open source space, what they want to see is that you're using their code, that you appreciate yeah. what they've done and that you yeah. are willing to make meaningful improvements uh to to the code but again i think for the most part it's really just about appreciation a lot of these developers work in relative obscurity and to appreciate yeah. people like 
as people, I think is very, very important, even outside of the product, but just to be able to express that you understand the level of work that it required to get whatever this thing is to where it is. Most of the time, it's yeah. a passion project. And so, and I mean, this is genuine. This is not even like a, not like some kind of a, a social engineering trick or anything like that. But just to, if I'm using the software, if I think it's great, just to express that and to just show appreciation for the fact that like, wow, you've put in a ton of work. I know how much work this is because I've done it, you know? And, and just from that and to say, hey, you know, could you help out? you know, willing to compensate you as, as is, you know, necessary in this regard and however you think it is. Can we give you a little bit of a platform? Can we give you some help? Can we give you some appreciation? Uh, and here's what we need. And yeah. not once has, have, has there been a situation where somebody has just said no, because most of the time, this is just not being heard by the actual developers. Right. And so, and so reaching out and trying to contact people personally, I mean, their, their GitHub account is right there in the commits right? You can see who's, who's making the commits. Reach out. Reach out and just yeah. be like, man, I appreciate what you're doing. They're, believe me, <laughs> they're not getting anything like that. I know. I maintain things that people fork and use and the whole nine. At most, they get back to me when there's a problem, right? Oh, yeah. there's this bug here or whatever. Can you fix this? There's no problem yeah, immediately a... hitting me up for that. But use it for three years yeah. and there's no problem and it works great and you're loving it and I haven't heard squat. So it's very nice to just be like, hey, dude, no problems. Your thing is great. Just wanted to let you know. Yeah. It's awesome. Uh, you'll get a lot that way. You'll get a lot that way. Yeah, the, just the, there. There you go. Another another real, you know, so a real way to engage with the developer community out there to help with engineering problems on top of your design first led thinking, right? And so mm -hmm. I think um, that's a brilliance that this network provides and the community as a whole moves forward with all of this open source innovation and feedback loop that actually is alive and very active, to be honest, out there, right? Um, it just gets a bit sad when the sanctions start spilling over, right? So where Tornado Cash was sanctioned, um, the developer of Tornado Cash was blacklisted on GitHub. So all of a sudden his mm -hmm. count was taken down. Uh, so it really trickles down. So economically, you've just sort of really ghosted somebody uh, out of economic existence, where if you do that on an ongoing basis, you're just ghosting a population and just building a more and more narrow society that mm -hmm. only believes in those core values, which is okay as well. But ultimately, you're not open to compromise and learning what others are going to bring to um, that society. It's super sad. Um, anyway, um, it's super um, sad to see that. Yeah. It's it's it is right. I mean, it's like really. Anyway, and, and especially in this time of opportunity, in this time of what the innovation represents and this freedom that it can bring to the world. Ultimately, if you're in power, you're going to fight this, right? Because why? It's going to change your model, um, and 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 you're not going to look good in front of your shareholders or these proxy that represent your shareholders, et cetera, right? And so what does that mean? How do you fix that? But ultimately, this time to be alive is the best time in the world. And I'm still convinced of that. And I'm still convinced that the opportunity is out there. 
you need to grasp it or find people that are thinking aligned with you and grasp it um and, and and take you know take take the the horse by the leash or i don't know what the right terminology is but the bull by the horns that's, that's out there and that's for everyone by the horns. <laughs> yeah i tried that in texas i don't know if you saw i did uh, there's the decentral there in austin took the bull by the horns and somebody took a great picture it was like funny um no thank you vin vin always good i think we'll do this again i just want people to hear more about our development philosophy um the philosophy that laguna represents and and look i i really welcome any talent anybody interested in some of the philosophies that you hear that we're bringing at super excited and at laguna more importantly as well um how can we help how can we help scale we're already working with a number of developers around the world that are building using the wallet engaging with the wallet we're working with developers that are coming up with ideas on top of truflation.com to build out applications using the feeds that we provide them as from an oracle service and next guess what when we launch a chain that allows you to monetize your transactions on that chain how nice is that going to be right and mm -hmm. stay tuned there're going to be a whole bunch of new interesting features there so thanks vin um you know sort of Love the work um, and, and check out the wallet, laguna.com or laguna, L-E-A-G-U-N-A um, backslash app and have a look at what that represents and give us your feedback. This was Stefan Roost and Vin Armani. You can follow Vin on Twitter at Cyprianus, that's C-Y-P-R-I-A-N-O-U-S. You can also follow Stefan on Twitter at srust99, that's S-R-U-S-T-9. And you can find the Super Excited with Stefan Roost podcast on all major podcast platforms and on YouTube on the Stefan Roost channel. Thank you for listening.